This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode number 12. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Okay, today we're welcoming Aaron Jordan. He is a senior lecturer at the Auckland University of Technology. Um, he is also the president of the New Zealand Association of Positive Psychology, a co-editor of the International Journal of Wellbeing, and a senior scientist for work on well-being and assessing well-being in education. Last but not least, he has written a book called Positive Psychologists on Positive Psychology. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. So, how did you become interested in positive psychology? Um, well, I guess it's kind of a long, a long answer to that one, but I'll keep it short. Um, when I started at university, I studied philosophy and, and particularly ethical theory and applied ethics, which is all about the good life. And I guess in those early days, which was sort of 20 years ago now, um, I was also doing a double major in psychology and I was sort of reflecting on the differences about how psychology really wasn't studying the things that I was learning in ethics about the good life and um, then kind of reality hit and I needed to get a job and so I went off and worked in IT and then came back and studied to be a clinical psych um, and did a PhD in what was going wrong with people um, for more practical kind of reasons but um, th through that process of um, trying to be a clinical psych and sitting down one-on-one -on -one with people and and helping them uh, learn knowledge and skills to be um, to get on in life a little bit better it just kind of reflected on me that um, the things that I um, were doing with my clients who were actually were working were things like talking about um, their values and talking about um, how they could utilise um, their skills and strengths better and all these sorts of things. And at, at that stage, it sort of opened opened my thinking and 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 at that stage, I sort of also figured out I didn't really want to sit down and, and work one-on-one -on -one with people for the rest of my life. I really wanted to make a bigger, larger um, scale difference because um, always been interested in bigger systems, so it was kind of a natural migration of figuring out that the end of this kind of long, grueling training program that, in fact, that wasn't really what I wanted to do. Um, I really wanted to make a bigger, larger scale impact um, and, and, and delve into this area um, which was developing at that stage and um, there was a little knowledge around, so that, and I suppose, um, figuring out I really wanted to be more of an academic than a practitioner as well, so all these things kind of combined. Um, to sort of fuel my interest in positive psychology and along the way I met some great people right at the beginning who were hugely motivating and I think that helped as well so that in a nutshell is how I got into it and I haven't regretted it a bit. Okay. Cool. So um, what are you working on now? Uh, right now um, probably on a day-to-day -day basis uh, four big things uh, so the New Zealand Association of Positive Psychology is having its third um, third conference next year in June, a couple of weeks before the World, uh, World Congress. Uh, so we're putting that together and we've got a stellar lineup of um, speakers for that. So um, putting that together, uh, the International Journal of Wellbeing is thriving, so we're just about to put out another issue. Um, but I think the two big things that I'm really working on are um, work on wellbeing, uh, which is an online wellbeing assessment. Um, and a sort of offshoot of that called Assessing Wellbeing in Education, which is Wellbeing Assessments for Schools. Um, and the reason I'm sort of working on those is I think what, one of the things the field of positive psychology probably hasn't done as well as it could have and needs to do further work on is 
sort of proving or assessing change in well-being over time. So, um, and I think although there's been good work in developing measures for these, measuring a lot of positive characteristics, um, the techno technology or practical side of that hasn't really caught up with it. So for individuals and organisations that want to um, do wellbeing type initiatives, there's kind of a, they, they stumble right at the start with A, figuring out what are the best scales, um, B, whether they whether they cost money, um, C, whether they can administer them or other other people they need experts to administer them. Um, and really there's a whole lot of technological barriers to doing um, assessments online as well. So um, we're kind of developing tools, not me, a whole, a whole team, um, to break down these barriers to make it easier for people to um, assess wellbeing so that they can on an individual level figure out whether um, what they're doing um, is making a difference or not for them. Um, but also at kind of group levels and organisations and in schools. So, yeah, I'm really excited about um, working on these two projects because they're kind of projects that I think um, are working towards um, making making better decisions. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I took I took the wow actually. I took it, and um, it, it is easy. Oh. You you made it you made it very easy, and it, it's very nice to navigate and everything. I can you know if anybody wants to have a go at it, I'll um, put a link. Um, in on the website and you should really try it um, and as you said it's cool for tracking over time um, I was yeah, wondering and that's something I also get asked quite a lot that you know people at least the people I meet seem to be fairly divided about these um, measurements because on the one hand everybody understands kind of you know what gets me measured gets managed that kind of thing but I've also kind of encountered a lot of people and I sometimes feel the same way to be honest that the measurements, they're very, um, yeah, I'd, you know, like, for example, they say, like, how happy are you with your relationship? I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not coining this from yours. I'm just, like, saying a generic question. And then you think, like, yeah, um, my uh, my partner is super, but, you know, uh, I haven't seen my friends lately. So how do you answer that? And what's your experience with that kind of thing? Um, I think the... Um, the area of um, positive psychological assessment um, has come leaps and bounds, especially with a lot of the work that Edina and Colin Smith from um, the OECD have done around um, guidelines for measuring subjective well-being and, and so forth. Um, so I think I think we, we're getting there. We're figuring out lots of little things which make a huge difference, like you know, judgments or life satisfaction are very stable, whereas you know, judgments of emotions are very fleeting. So you need to be very careful about how you phrase your questions. You know, asking about now and yesterday and last week and in general and so forth. Um, all those little wordings um, make a huge difference to the quality of the data that you collect, along with um, the span of the response scales. You know, from zero to ten versus um, you know having five options and all that sort of thing. So I think we've learned an awful lot, um, and it does make a really big difference. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I, I noticed the difference. For example, when it um, when it assesses different domains in life, where it asks like, "How important is this domain to you?" And I think that's really that's really a, quite a step forward. It's not just putting all on equal footing because that's probably never the case. Yeah. yeah so the, the so the bit that Kristen's getting there is in, in at workonwellbeing.com. Um, we ask her both about how important a domain of life is, and then how satisfied a, a person is with that domain, and, and work out a discrepancy. So you can see across different contexts of your life uh, where you can potentially put your effort. 
Yes. So um, have you? So you've tried this with businesses and schools, right? That's what you said. Work on well-being is basically the workplace, and schools is the the education one. Uh, yes, work on well-being for businesses, and yeah, that, that's going really well. Um, or, or assessing well-being and ed- education is just for schools, and that works um, similarly in the sense of um, parents do an assessment, um, school staff do an assessment, and then students aged 12 to 18 do an assessment, and those three um, staff, students, and parents results all are aggregated into a, what we call a school community report. Um, so this this tool is really for um, developing field of positive education and schools that want to get into. Um, implementing positive education curricula and, and things like that. Um, yeah, so they're a little bit different in the way that these assessments are made up, um, but by and large, they assess similar kinds of things, you know, like whether the kids are using their strengths and um, feel valued by their teachers and get bullied and all sorts of things. Okay, so so what was the response from the business world? Uh, it's, it's been a mixed response, to be honest. Um, so, so and in regards to organisational assessments, so I think there's really only um, workonwellbeing.com, but also Nick Marks's um, Happiness at Work survey, uh, by far and away the two that I think are, are um, out there is really good um, because they're the two that track wellbeing changes. Um, there's lots out there that just give you a snapshot of um, what the wellbeing of an organisation would be, um, but it's really it's the tracking over time where the value is. I think for a lot of these organisations, they want to see return on investment and change and all these sorts of things. Um, so, so yeah, the, the feedback's been really good. Um, it's it's just we need to, we're at the, kind of at the stage where we need to push the tool wider now that we know um, it's providing good value. Okay, good. So I want to shift a little bit and um, talk to you about something else that you did, and that was the book that you wrote. So I was wondering, um, what did you learn from interviewing positive psychologists? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, the book's called Positive Psychologists on Positive Psychology. Um, there's actually two of them now, two books. Um, uh, what I learned was um, there's just a great bunch of people involved in, in helping develop this emerging field of positive psychology. Um, it's, yeah, I made some great connections and um, I'm just really encouraged um, that there's a lot of people tucked away that um, are doing great work, um, some for very little credit, um, but nonetheless they're kind of givers and, and um, Givers in the Adam Grant's kind of terminology. Um, so I was kind of reassured. It's the first thing that I learned that there's a lot of people working for the same goal and doing great work. Um, yeah, and I, I think the second thing was, um, well, actually, as part of the first thing, um, they're also very, very smart people with really good ideas. Um, yeah. Uh, what else did I learn? Um, I, I think that's kind of the main thing, really. Um, hopefully, we'll write another book um, mid next year. Um, interview a whole bunch of new um, positive psychologists. Actually, one thing I did learn was um, there's a there's a real divide. What I see anyway is a divide between um, what some people term the old guard of positive psychology. Not that I use that phrase myself, but that's the way they term it, and the and the new guard um, or the, the the people at the cutting edge of science. So I think there's a bunch of really young academics coming through. I mean, like Acacia Parks, who you mentioned, um, who are really helping to push push the actual science side of it, you know, for her with positive interventions, for example, um, push the science side of it uh, forward um, faster and better with really good quality research and work. Um, and then there's the old guard who um, who are doing things kind of behind the scenes, so to speak, about um, with the broader field of psychology and 
and helping establish positive psychology that way. So I think it's kind of moving forward um, with different groups in different ways, but um, it seems to me everyone's kind of um, aiming for the same kinds of ideals and goals, you know, having an established field, an incredible field and all that and so forth. All right. So um, what are the most exciting current developments in positive psychology? Um, I think I'd have a different answer to that to most people. Um, you know, I recently read um, Todd Cashton's and Robert Biswastina's new book, um, The Upside to Your Dark Side. I think that's a really, really exciting new book, which um, pushes the point that positive psychologists have been on about since the start. You know, it's not just all about happyology and good stuff, uh, but pushes it really well um, and, and develops new arguments and new ideas. So um, that's a new development that I just think is um, going to be exciting to see how that pans out. Um, obviously, there's a technology side of things. So, you know, we see MOOCs and um, we see a lot of research looking at larger scale, you know, wellbeing on Facebook and that sorts of things. Um, we see people trying to develop um, app, mobile apps for increasing wellbeing and assessing wellbeing. Um, I think whether that all pans out to be useful or not is a bit unknown at this stage, um, but it's certainly exciting to see people dipping, dipping their feet into that to see if it is. Um, I think probably the biggest current development for me would be um, well, the thing which has potentially the biggest impact is this, this real strong move to um, well-being and public policy. Um, so countries and, and big organisations with big stakes getting more interested about um, seeing you know, their treasuries and their stats agencies measuring subjective well-being properly and, and um, getting well-being into public policy, I think, has the potential for the biggest large-scale impact um, beyond um, things that individuals or, or small companies can do with their, you know, they're working with large organisations or schools or, you know, at that kind of level. But if you can get it in public policy, um, I think that's when it has the chance to have a big impact. And I see all that forming now. Um, I set up this conference called Wellbeing and Public One at I. Um, me and Dan Bayers and, and Philip Morris um, set up this um, conference called Wellbeing and Public Policy a couple of years ago. Um, and we invited, you know, um, treasuries from around the world and everyone came and we started getting this discussion going and and last year Dan and um, Lindsay Odes and um, Stephen Wu from Hamilton College here in the States had the second conference of that just outside New York State and, and again got all the experts and this is just this groundswell of um, interest from both the academic community but also um, the people in government are realising this research now and, and wanting and that or actually realising they need to do something about it can't sort of ignore it anymore so um, yeah I, I think it's growing and it's certainly stronger in some countries than others um, you know like like in um, like in England and France and so forth um, where it's kind of been lead but I, I think that's definitely um, a current development to keep your eye on whether that um, how that goes what do you think about the 51% challenge which basically, for those who don't know about it, it's basically uh, Martin Seligman's challenge for all of us involved in positive psychology to ensure that by the year 2051, 51% of the w world is flourishing. What do you think of that? Uh, I think it's, uh, it's ambitious and it's, it's definitely good to have a goal like that. I, I guess one of the things that... Um, I find slightly problematic with the developing field of positive psychology at this stage is um, it doesn't really involve 
the whole of the community having a say in these things. Um, if it was the case that the positive psychology community um, established that challenge or put those numbers together, then I think that would be more exciting. Um, I guess people say, you know, is that a low number? Is that a high number? Is it the right number? I kind of look at it and wonder, even before that, um, what does flourish mean? I mean, recent paper by Lucy Hone compared the four main conceptions of flourishing, Seligman's, um, Herbert and Sows, Zed Dina's and, and Corey's, and, and looked at the overlap and, and then sort of made the case that really what we need to now do now next is have a bit of a, a roundtable discussion about this construct of flourishing to actually nail it down we, so we know what we're measuring, basically. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. I think it's great to have something to aim for. Um, and in a sense, that's why um, it's good to have a tool like Work on Wellbeing, because we can um, better gauge on whether um, countries around the world are improving. Um, yeah, I think that's all I've got to say about that. Um, so yeah, I, I guess in sum, it's great to have it. Um, I don't know whether other people would have the same goal or not. So, so are you saying that we should basically, how should I put this, kind of have a discussion whether that's what people want? And when you say flourishing, do you mean the scientific community has that? Or what's the role of other people who are maybe not involved in positive psychology but are interested? How yeah, no, I mean the I mean the scientific community. What what they mean by flourishing? If we've got these four competing conceptions of what it means to flourish, I don't think that's good um, when it comes to translating this information into the public domain. If we end up with um, with the media being confused about um, what what the construct of flourishing actually means, I don't think that's good for anybody. So I think the next step is to get more agreement about you know what 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 these constructs means. Actually, I think the next step is really um, we need. Um, we need some academic research mapping out this construct of flourishing um, in addition to this debate between the leaders um, to put their own conceptions or definitions of flourishing together. Um, so that's one thing that we're working in our lab. One of our PhD students is, is setting off to do that and that'll be really interesting. Um, can you just say your other question, part of that question again? Um, I said, what's the role of, you know, 51% of the world should be flourishing? Like, I mean, that's not just something that involves positive psychologists. It involves all kinds of people. So how do you see, you know, maybe the scientific and academic community um, and the world at large kind of connect and maybe even rally around a cause like that? That's an interesting question. I don't know if I've got a good or a clear answer to that, but um, I think the academic community can provide guidance and in regards to how to measure these things um, and, and accurately, which is kind of the space that I'm interested or involved in. Um, but getting getting beyond the academic community, um, I think there's a lot of organisations now um, realising that in order to make a profit, they don't have to, um, you know, it's not just all about GDP and so forth, um, that they can actually do well um, by being environmentally conscious and socially conscious and, and so forth. And in fact, um, some of the companies that make the biggest returns um, do so particularly because of their ethical and and kind of well-being stance. Um, so I think I think we're probably going to see a bit of a shift in the way organisations are structured over the next sort of ten years. Um, most most likely in line with um, there was a recent book called Reinventing Organisations, um, which I think is fantastic, and I think um, anybody who works in management organisations should have a read of it. It's at reinventingorganisations.com. 
um, that sort of makes the case that the way that we've designed work in organisations um, really is a large impediment to flourishing and what we need to do is sort of reorganise teams and so we can provide them with more autonomy and all these things that we know that build wellbeing or a good day at work, so to speak. Yeah, I actually attended a, a, a conference just not like that long ago and there was one man who was a CEO of a, of a Swiss computer company and basically he made the case and he opened his talk saying, you know, like on a governmental level, we've decided, at least in the West, we've decided um, that democracy is the best thing, but yet most of us go to work in a dictatorship every day and he he has this company where the ceo like everybody knows what everybody earns everybody can basically overturn like i think if half of the staff doesn't like a decision they can overturn everything and it's complete democracy basically and they can't even you know import like or have like hire people from outside to be managers because nobody really understands how that works at the workplace yeah, and I, I think those models are, are just going to become more and more common. And in a way, that's another reason why we built work on wellbeing.com for organisations is um, so that when they choose to do this, they can actually see um, the link between increased employee wellbeing um, and then map it to their, um, our, you know, the financials that they're interested in. Because um, it shows, you know, we know from the research, when you do things like let employees use their strengths more and provide, become more autonomous and, um, and so forth, um, not only does it increase their well-being um, at work, but, but it's good for productivity at the company. It basically goes and employee well-being um, drives engagement at work, engagement at work drives productivity, productivity drives business success. But it's that first link between um, well-being driving engagement that organisations haven't really clued onto just yet. They're still The ones that are in this space are still in the wellness space. They're investing in things like yoga programs and art checks and, and so forth, which, which you know is good um, and does drive engagement. Um, but it's only about half as powerful as directing, uh, investing directly in employee wellbeing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, thank you very much for providing us with an overview and a little bit, you know, a couple of ideas of where positive psychology is heading, what's happening right now. Yeah, thank you very much, Aaron. Uh, my pleasure. So, I hope this conversation with Aaron helped to give you a clearer idea of the actual scientific work that goes into making positive psychology possible at all. If you would like to take his uh, work on well-being, the WOW assessment, um, which is free for individuals, um, you can go there and you can find it. Together with a link to the books that Aaron mentioned on www.strengthsphoenix.com slash 12. That's the number 12. Now, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the people, um, the most loyal listeners in different places. And the last episode was listened to in 22 countries. And... As always, the U.S. is very strong. So this is a shout out to all the listeners in the U.S. By far and large, um, that's the biggest audience. So thank you very much wherever you are. But then there's also Australia, New Zealand and Switzerland, which are really, really loyal listeners of the Positive Psychology podcast. But I also would like to thank the listeners or maybe even just the one listener from some more exotic places now. 
I am pretty happy to actually know that, you know, this is being listened to in China and Iceland, the Ukraine, the Philippines, Uruguay, and even Azerbaijan. So that's some, in some cases, it's just one person, but you know, that one person that is so awesome. Thank you very much for listening in from all over the world. Makes me really happy to know that positive psychology is of interest to people in so many different areas of the world. So if you guys from wherever in the world you're listening to have any comments, I would love to hear from you um, wherever you are. And just send me an email to Kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-E-N, at strengthsphoenix.com. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.